Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where you can date to remember, you can date to forget, or you can date to get ahead in the film industry. Book number 24, Memories. Can Kara make Stephen forget Trisha Martin? Well, what a question. Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries. I'm your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and with me today is a newly minted expert in the world of Stephen Wakefield and Kara and Trisha and such, and she's smiling very sweetly with her hands beneath her chin. I wish you could see it. It's Katie Ledoux. Welcome back to the podcast, Katie. Am I like, is there some kind of record holder of like most visited besides your dad? Uh, you are tied for that position right now. Even with my dad. It's a three-way tie. You and the other guest I've had on twice now is Russ Nickel. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A person known to you as well. Yes. I just didn't know where that was going to go. And it was like a person known to. And I'm like, yeah. Like, oh, to me. Okay. What is he known to, to me. do? To me. A person yeah. known to overshare on my podcast. That's me. Yeah. Well, you guys have that For in common. Sure. Yeah. So let's talk about the cover of this book, Memories. Um, the subtitle is Loaded. Uh, you, not Katie, not having the privilege of having read the last few books, had not gotten a chance to be privy to Kara's kind of complete personality change. That was a question that I wrote down. What's the deal with Kara? So let's get into that. But first, let's talk about the cover. We've got two people on the cover. Looking very forlorn. Oh, yeah. So it's Kara, who has dark brown hair and an olive complexion. Of course. Just like you. Yeah, that's definitely... No, one of those things is true. The other thing is aggressively not true. (laughs) Okay, okay. We'll cut that part out. You're very pale. Yes. But she looks pretty pale and whatever. The yeah, book tells we both look pretty skin. ghostly pale. <laughs> Although this book is also like 35 years old or something. Eh. So, no, that's an overstatement, but yeah, it is yeah. like 30 years old. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it got worn out in the sun a little bit. But, oh, I have a brand new, like, picture perfect version of the cover uh, because I read the Kindle edition of this book. Ooh. Um, no, everything just looks really orange. Also, I think this picture is backwards. Yes, it is. Okay, so on the Kindle edition, the picture is backwards. And so we've got Kara, and she's got her hand on the chest of a very sad man. Yes. Stephen Wakefield, who's looking into the distance. He does not look good backwards. (laughs) How do you feel? Does he look good forwards? What do you think? I mean, he looks like so many people. (laughs) Yeah, he looks like you're you're, um, a werewolf boy. I don't know who that is. Your your team wolf. What's his name? Tyler Posey? Sure. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay, forget I said it. Um, he looks like somebody. I don't know. He's got kind of fuzzy hair in this picture. Don't yeah, you think? more like uh, Beverly Hills 90210 type. Yeah, well, that makes sense yeah, considering yeah. the time period. I mean, this is before that, but yeah. Kara's wearing some kind of like sailory sort of stripes. I actually like remember tops like that. I'm pretty sure I had one that had like the, the flap thing. It has the flap on the back. It's yeah. not a hood. 
It's no. not. It's not other than like, it's just a flap. It's like a sailor's uniform would have. Yeah, like a like a literal like but a sailor, also why? Like, a, like a navy sailor. Oh, why? Got is it. A great question. But why? <laughs> why is a good question. Um, yeah. So all that's really happening here is that Kara's got her hand on Stephen's chest. She's looking at him, saying like with her eyes, she's pleading, like, "Come on, Stephen, what's up?" And Stephen is just like he looks super depressed. He's not looking at her. He's not looking at the. Uh, reader, he's looking down at the ground, really sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Poor Stephen. He's really conflicted in this book. I, I went back and uh, I'm recording some of these episodes, uh, Peek Behind the Curtain, recording some of these episodes out of order. Mm-hmm. So I went back and read on sweetvalleydiaries.net. I went back and read what I had written about memories back when I first read it. And uh, I was mostly what I focused on in my post was that the book is not really about what it says it's about on the cover. Like, that's no. one of yeah, one of three storylines in this book. And that's definitely not the point of that storyline, even, either. You mean, can Kara make Stephen Wakefield forget Trisha Martin? Yeah, no, that's not what's happening at all. That's true. It's a gross oversimplification. Yes. And not really to the book's credit, because the one thing that the book is kind of sensitive about is, like, how that would really go. So... Yeah. Listeners who are not aware, uh, first of all, go back and listen to Katie's previous uh, episode about, was it When Love Dies? I think so. It was very poignantly the book where she reveals that she's dying. Yeah. So Trisha Martin was Stephen's girlfriend. They were in love. She died of leukemia. And she made him promise to take care of her sister, Betsy, who was a total disaster. And Betsy uh, really kind of formed a bond with Stephen in a way. And she cleaned up her act. She has this boyfriend now, Jason. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the last book, book 23, Betsy uh, sees Stephen Wakefield and Carol Walker together at a party at Lila's house. And she freaks out and is basically like, Stephen, why uh, did you bring somebody else here? You've forgotten Trisha already. How could you forget Trisha? Like, she's really upset. She she, she sees it as a betrayal. She, she said she lived with them for a while? She lived with the Wakefields. Yeah, that was the book after the book that okay. you read. That's what That was the aftermath of the book that you were the last guest yeah. for, was that Betsy Martin moved in with the Wakefields. Because, you know, the Martin dad is just a total alcoholic loser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the book's words, not mine. Uh, Every I feel teen like... drama, some kid has deadbeat parents and moves in with somebody else's parents that are more active and involved. It always happens. Yeah, and that's what happens, and Jessica tries to get rid of Betsy. Interestingly enough, uh, Jessica, even though she seemed to have come around on Betsy in that book, uh, she definitely hates Betsy again in this book. (laughs) Aggressively. There's a line where... So at the beginning of the book, it's like the aftermath of that party... Um, A lot of stuff has happened since you were last here, Katie, so you got caught up on some of that. Uh, They're talking around the breakfast table about the fact that Betsy is trying to, uh, like, kind of ruin Stephen's life because she won't let him forget Trisha. The Wakefields do a lot of talking about how Stephen should forget Trisha. Yes, that's what I wrote. On page two, it says, we're just, like, really happy because he's, like, finally forgetting Trisha. Yeah, you wrote and down I'm like, quote. I highlighted it, too. He's beginning to let go of Trisha's memory. How great is that? I'm like, oh, my God. That is not the point. Well, and who says that? It's Ned Wakefield. Like, Mr. Wakefield wants, would like Stephen to let go of Trisha's memory. Okay, but here's the thing. Like, that is the most ignorant statement. But, like, 
later on in the book, spoiler alert, Dad's, like, woke about his son's grief and about how to process grief. But, like, in the beginning, he's like, why would you say that? That's awful. Yeah, yeah. So it was, like, page one, page two of the book. And that Wakefield is saying that. And then, so they're talking about how, like, just when he was starting to get over Trisha, he... um, saw that maybe there was something in Kara after all. We'll get to that in a second, because I know that you have this question, and some listeners may as well. But Jessica says, You can't get much trashier than Betsy Martin. I don't know why Steve even bothers to talk to her. They're friends, Elizabeth answered. It's embarrassing, Jessica said distastefully. I can't believe that girl once stayed in our house. Everyone I know was horrified when they heard one of the Martins was living here. (laughs) I was just like, okay, Jessica, that's exactly what you sounded like when she was living before. I thought you had a change of heart, but no. There's no continuity there. Like, she lived with you. You were, uh, like, you were, I mean, I wasn't there for it, but I would guess she was sympathetic to the sister dying. And, like, it just... (laughs) No continuity there whatsoever. But, you know, Betsy Martin then comes over a second later, and uh, I actually had to laugh because they're eating breakfast, and Betsy kind of interrupts for a second, and when she leaves, Jessica says, thanks to Betsy Martin, my eggs are cold now. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, and her sister's like, oh, God forbid, your your fork full of eggs yeah. that's left is cold. Like, how petty can you be? But in this case, I kind of loved it. And and I will say, Betsy is being ridiculous. No, I have that. Is Betsy a bitch? Yeah, Betsy's a bitch. She's kind of a bitch in the beginning. I think we can go ahead and say kind of the whole arc with Betsy pretty succinctly, because basically... She wants to see Stephen a lot. She and Stephen spend time together reminiscing about Trisha Mm -hmm. and come to find out toward the end of the book that Betsy's idea is that uh, if the only people alive on Earth that can that really care about Trisha or cared about her are her and Stephen. Yeah. And if Stephen lets go, then it's her alone. And it's essentially Trisha's like dead all over again. Um, yeah. So she, but what she's not seeing is that, well, Trisha's her sister. Like she, she gets to have a boyfriend and like have a love life. Yeah. Stephen, meanwhile, has to be miserable. Yeah. And it's basically like kind of dating Betsy. In a weird way. Yeah. I mean, Betsy has a boyfriend. She's not seeing it as romantic, yeah. but, uh, but kind of. I mean, she's like, Doing all the things, you know, that spending all, yeah, yeah, or kind of, yeah, like spending all their time together and going after him and like showing up at his house. He's and, coming like, home from college to Sweet Valley just yeah. specifically to see her like mm-hmm. every weekend, which yeah. is another big reason why the Wakefield parents are worried. Like, if you're coming home, you need to be coming home for a better reason than this, basically. But Stephen is, like, hardcore. Like, he's depressed. He's yes. not... And he just had had this glimpse of, of, like, oh, maybe he could get over things, but he feels super guilty. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was... I, I mean, I thought that was pretty relatable. It really hasn't been that long since this traumatic thing happened. Yeah, I think they said it had been a couple months at this point yeah, since she yeah. died. Always fascinating to get a little bit of insight into how much time has passed in, in books. That was, what, like 10 books ago? Yeah, this creeped me out. Um, so in the beginning, they're all at dinner, or they're all at <gasps> breakfast, 
And the father sends Jessica up to go get Steve to come downstairs. And she's like, I'll get him to come down. And then she says, and I quote, no man can resist me. Yes. About her brother. Oh my God. I gasped because I saw what you'd written down there. And it's, this is not the first time there's been sexual tension between Jessica and Steven. It's just that basically Jessica... Or the authors don't yeah. allow them to interact as brother and sister. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not true at all. They mostly interact as brother and sister, but every once in a while, it's like they acknowledge each other's sexiness in a way that is just not normal between no. a brother and a sister. So weird. Um, yeah. She says, don't worry, mom. I'll get him down. He won't be able to resist me. No man can. <laughs> I mean, it's it says her. she's joking, but it's still weird. But why would you say that about your own? Never in my life have I said something any degree to that about my brother. Like, that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, before chapter one is even over, also the book takes this hard left turn where all of a sudden they're, the twins are alone in the kitchen and Jessica says, Gosh, Liz, the volleyball match is less than a week away. Oh, yeah, that killed me. I was like, gee, gosh, golly. <laughs> yeah. The so, charity volleyball game. So that's like plot line number two of, I don't know, three or four. There's a volleyball game. I would rank that like, whoa. Yeah, it's it, the basically the volleyball game is one kind of excuse to have a dance. You know, the in uh, Sweet Valley yeah. High, there's always got to be an excuse for there to be a party or a dance. Yeah. And you you can't always, like, every book can't have a party at Lila Fowler's house or Bruce Patman's house. I mean, they could. It'd make more sense, but... <laughs> if they just were constantly having... They had, like, weekly parties. I would buy that. I would buy them, like, having parties all the time rather than having school-sanctioned dances yeah. all the time. But this one at least is at the caravan, I think. It's not at the high school. That was also a question I had. There are a lot of businesses. Let's talk about that. There are yes. a lot of businesses mentioned in this book. There's a business called The Designer Shop. That's where they go to get their dresses? Yeah. Uh, someone has... Uh, Mike Yarsky, a uh, previous guest of the show, thought it was really funny that the all of the businesses in the stores were named after like whatever they sold in the designer shop. Mm. It definitely yeah. fits that uh, that mold. But the caravan, I was very confused by. I thought they were going caravanning. Oh yeah, no, it's just a. It's just and a I was like, is this a thing people do for fun in this town? <laughs> I like that idea, but that seems like a series all its own, like Caravan High School. That is awful. That sounds hellish. <laughs> I asked my roommate about it because my roommate grew up reading Sweet Valley High. And while I was reading this, I, like, asked her a few questions. I was like, they go caravanning? Caravanning is fun for no one. You have to follow the car ahead of you, and it just it doesn't work, and they get too far away. It's not fun. Well, what are you picturing? Like, how, what, have you, is this something you've done? Yeah. What do you do? You just, like, a few of you go somewhere, and you follow each other in your cars? That's to where? Where do you go? Wherever your destination is. I don't know. Oh, okay. And it's supposed to be fun, but it's not fun. It's like in um, Drive Me Crazy when they say they're going to go cruising. Sort of, yes. But, I mean, great reference. <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, but they're not even going no. anywhere in that. They're just it's, driving. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know. It's really dumb. It's just like, we're going to go here and you're going to follow me and we're going to all go together and like in a line and we'll go to this place. And it's pointless because it's like you're in a solitary car. You're not together. You're in a solitary car. Just give everyone the destination. Everyone should just get there. Yeah. Like, why do you need to drive in a row? Uh, yeah, why? I'm guessing why that it, like just dips back into like before people had GPSs, and you're like, you don't know how to get there. Yes. Just follow my car. Yes, but this is all kind of moot because that is not what's happening. There is a place yeah. called the Caravan, and there is a kind of a dance disco party thing. You know, the droids are playing mm-hmm. at the at the Caravan after the volleyball game, which is against Big Mesa. More about Big Mesa High School later, but we've heard of Big Mesa before okay. uh, that high school. Interesting so, name. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, very Southwestern. Yeah, that was my thought. I was like, there are people that aren't white? Oh. Involved in Sweet Valley? Yeah, it would be nice if um, maybe some of them got named, but not in this book. Uh, So, let's see. We've got that, so that, we've covered that Mm storyline, or mentioned it now. We've established that uh, Stephen is pining for Trisha, but we haven't talked about the Kara Walker of it all, okay? Kara supposedly factors large in this Or book. Jessica's storyline. And we need to get to Jessica's storyline. So yes. what, uh, you said you had a question about Kara. Um, my question was, what's the deal with Kara? Okay. <laughs> so, there is this, um, really interesting point in the book, I thought, mm-hmm. where, uh, Stephen, Jessica, and Elizabeth are all sitting around the table. This is actually fairly late in the book. Um, yeah. But this book, I don't think we really need to go chapter by chapter on it because it's just all over the place anyway. Yeah, and there's, like, just pages and pages of you're like, nothing really happened here? Well, so, I mean, as far as Stephen and Kara go, they don't really see each other again until this dance after the volleyball yeah. game where um, Stephen is there and he's with this guy named Artie, a friend of his, who asks Kara out. And Stephen is, like, being kind of rude to Kara. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't want to, like, look at her or talk to her because it stirs up feelings in him that make him feel bad. Because he's yeah. trying to be loyal still to Trisha. Yeah. So, but basically, there's this moment later on in the book toward the end where the three Wakefield kids are all sitting around the table. Mm-hmm. And Jessica is pissed off at Stephen for being rude to Kara, which she has been. Yeah. And she thinks that they would be great together. Yeah. Which in the book that you joined me for last time was also her perspective. And she was super wrong and being crazy. Yeah. Elizabeth, meanwhile, is puts her foot down about the fact that Kara is a snob and she's all wrong for Steven. But Jessica insists that Elizabeth is not giving uh, Kara a chance. Can I read this scene? Because I I thought it was really uh, special. Because she did kind of say, like, she's been through a lot or something. Mm Mm-hmm. So I remember that. So here's this scene. Let's, Let's start at the end of the book. Jessica didn't like the tone in her sister's voice. I'd like to know what's wrong with Steve and Kara seeing a little more of each other. I just don't think they're right for each other, Elizabeth insisted. She gave a nervous, sidelong glance in Stephen's direction. Jessica abruptly put her glass down on the table. Everybody thinks you're so kind and generous, Liz. She reached for another slice of pizza. They're eating a pizza from Guido's that for some reason is half pepperoni and half sausage. The author thought it was really important to uh, make that distinction. The fact that it's called Guido's is... Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) 
Everybody thinks you're so kind and generous, Liz, but you refuse to give Kara the benefit of the doubt. I'm sorry, Kara has pulled too many nasty stunts and told too many secrets for me to think she'd be a match for Steve. You were ready to forgive Betsy Martin anything, Jessica retorted angrily, but just because Kara's made a few little mistakes, she's not good enough for you. Can't you ever stop playing matchmaker, Jess? Elizabeth said. Okay, that's it, Stephen thundered, his hands slapping the table. Stop talking about me as though I'm not even here. Both girls looked up, startled. In fact, they had both gotten so engrossed in their conversation, they had forgotten their brother was in the room. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so they have this fight. And Jessica actually makes a solid point. Like, Elizabeth has a has this uncharacteristic chip on her shoulder about Kara. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth is maybe kind of a stand-in for some readers in this case. Okay. For you, maybe. Like, Kara yeah. was kind of... I, like, I lame. didn't remember her when I read it, but I now I'm remembering her in the other one. Yeah. Well, so... Not great. No, she was the one in the... She, you know, she was just sort of, like, flaky and it was just a gossip. Like, yeah, she was gossip, and she was, like, very obviously, like, trying to yeah. hit on Steven. She was, like, another Jessica, only, like, a little bit less exciting and she <laughs> she invited him to that party and she was wearing that like halter top that was oh, like, yeah. the hawaiian print it was her sexiest dress i don't know why i remember that but <laughs> like as if we were there it's like i'm recounting actual so hawaiian print dress really seems like the sexiest thing she owns so but what happened to kara is pretty upsetting which is that her parents got divorced and her dad moved away and took her younger brother with him so it's like her whole family dissolved, and it made her very, like, it just like something bad happened to her, so now it's like she's gotten to be more serious. And Jessica actually is like, she's not even really that fun anymore, so get, cut her some slack. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so the weird thing is that that's actually, like, Stephen no, is aware of that, and it was like a point of bonding when they went to that dance I was talking about in the yeah. beginning. That, uh, that maybe... They both had experienced trauma, so they could have that in common. What do you think of that? I mean, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, I mean, very different kinds of trauma, but very different. trauma nonetheless. I guess I haven't experienced either one of those things. My teenage girlfriend did not die, so <laughs> Thank God. I don't know what that is like. Um, and you know, the parents are haven't abandoned me and run off with my brother. Wish they would have. Oh. Kidding, kidding. Wouldn't that kidding. have been weird if your parents had divorced and your your dad and Phil had gone off? Oh, God, that would not have happened. Left you and your mom? Would my mother have left with my brother? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but not, not the other way around. Oh, my goodness. And I'm an only child. So, yeah. What do you think of Kara in this book? Well, I think it was funny because it did, like, flip Jessica and Elizabeth personality-wise, kind of. Mm, like, yeah. Elizabeth's always kind and understanding. And, pa- and you think, like, Elizabeth has, like, no patience for Kara. Yeah. And no, like, recognition. And Jessica, who is uh, psychotic? <laughs> <laughs> A sociopath, sometimes we yeah. say. Um, is, like, very compassionate and also, like, also, like, aware enough to see an evolution in this person where like you have to pay attention to that kind of stuff. If you know somebody and like, 
But Elizabeth doesn't notice that, and Elizabeth is more of, like, a keen observer of the human yeah. condition. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. I, I think, in a way, it's like, Jessica is so well-suited to matchmaking that it's just that things have aligned in such a way that her machinations are actually needed in this case. Like, uh, yeah. not that Stephen has to have a girlfriend, but Stephen and Kara do like each other, yep. and it would be good for Stephen to maybe not be obsessing over Trisha yeah. months after she's died. So I think it's sort of like the stars all align for Jessica's particular brand of... Uh, nonsense. Nonsense to <laughs> be well used. Yeah. Uh, and so I mentioned before that this guy Artie asks Kara out on a date. And that's significant because it like makes... It makes Stephen realize that he actually does have feelings for Kara, that mm-hmm. he can't ignore it. It wasn't just a fluke. He, she wasn't just a distraction. Yeah. Because he's really jealous of Artie. When he calls Kara up to leave a message or something to apologize yeah. finally for the way he treated her yeah. at Lila's party, she's home. She didn't go out with Artie after all. She did a rain check. Mm. She, Why again? I don't remember. I think she really didn't want to go out with Artie. Also, Artie's a shit friend. Well, I don't think Artie knows that he and Kara. A lot of times, you know, <laughs> like you know, like I know he didn't say it, but come on. Yeah, we don't get that scene where Artie's like, "So, Stephen, what's Kara's deal?" Yeah, you know? but also guys don't care sometimes, so that's a thing too. <laughs> like I've had guy friends and I'm like obviously our other friend liked her and they're like well he didn't say anything yeah so I asked her out and I'm like you dummy Aww. so sometimes boys are stupid yeah I'm willing to give Artie um the benefit of the doubt here and say that he was just Stephen was so uh unwilling to talk about his relationship or his one date with Kara yeah. at this point yeah. that he was saying he actually Stephen is claiming that it wasn't even a date even though it was oh very much so he's claiming that uh they just were hanging out together at the dance and it's, he basically he's worried about what Betsy's going to think and Jessica calls him out on that and it is kind yeah. of what makes him realize that that's weird <laughs> Um, like, why should, why should Betsy's opinion about who he's dating be the thing that drives his decisions? But, so he and Kara have a nice time. They go out for a picnic. But it is, like, every once in a while things turn and he makes this face that he's making on the book where he, like, sadly stares at the ground. And she, like, asks him, like, tell me what's wrong. He won't. Because he's, like, I don't know. It, it would be awkward to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. They're at the zoo. They go on a date to the zoo. That's right. The monkeys. The, yeah, the way the zoo is described could be out of, like, any children's book about the zoo. <laughs> yeah, it got weird. <laughs> they are eating fried chicken and potato salad or something at the zoo. Well, I think there was, like, even a weird part where I was, like, thinking about what they were eating, and then I flipped the page and it changed. Because <laughs> they were, he was like, look at this, like, this chicken, and there's cake, and there's potato salad. And then in my head, like, just like, my fat-ass brain was like, ooh, potato salad sounds good. <laughs> and then I flipped the page, and he's like, and he's eating pasta salad. And I was like, oh, well, maybe they were both kinds of salad. She, You need to state that, you know? Kara definitely ordered from a local deli. She comes clean about that, but she made the cake herself. You don't need to make stuff, man. If somebody else's food is better, get the better food. (laughs) So they have this nice picnic, and Stephen says something weird about her beautiful hands, and then he goes to kiss them, and then he, like, recoils. Like, oh my god, like, this moment of intimacy, it, like, triggers this feeling of 
he's totally betraying Trisha's memory and like it's like the spell is broken and he yeah. rushes off and then he or they go home I don't know but he calls her a few times and he finds out that it's going to be Kara's birthday oh okay it's Kara's birthday so she suggests that they could go to something called a splash party at Bruce yes Cabin's I house? also wrote that down what is a splash party is it just yeah. a pool party? <laughs> I would think so, but they call it a splash party. Okay, uh, listeners to the podcast, from now on, we're calling our pool parties splash parties. That's the rule. Or we could never say that ever again. <laughs> oh, man, okay. I was trying to make a thing happen. All right, never mind. Canceled. Splash parties is canceled. So, uh, but Stephen says no. He wants to go someplace quiet and secluded to me. I don't know if it was because he wanted to be alone with Kara or because he didn't want people to see him with Kara. I would say both. Yeah. So, here's another place I never heard of before, I don't think. Kara makes a reservation at the Valley Inn. But then he says he went there with Trisha all the time. Yeah, maybe it was in the other book, but I didn't remember it. And they danced together. To the song Always, which I can sing for you right now. It goes... I'll be loving you always. Oh, okay. You know that there song? You go. I had to sing it in a Cockney accent in a production of Blythe Spirit uh, in my sophomore year of high school. It might have been freshman. Hmm. High school theater making them do Cockney accents sounds like. Oh yeah, my a Cockney great accent. Idea. My Cockney accent was my Cockney accent was on point when I was younger. Oh, I'm Don't sure. Don't make I me break that. it out right now, that. but it was yeah. really, really excellent. Yeah. Uh, very, very good. So I, I think of that song in a Cockney accent, and oh my gosh, I really wish that I could do it for you right now, but mm, I just can't. So they go to the restaurant, and everything's fine. Stephen is, oh, but Stephen, when he doesn't know that they're going to Valley Inn, yes. and when he finds out, he's like, oh, but he goes for it anyway. He doesn't mm-hmm. tell Kara why he's like, yeah. ooh, he turns white as a ghost, but... yeah. Uh, appropriately. But, uh, when they get there, it's fine. He's like, you know what? This is all fine. Yeah. And it's like his reasons for it being fine is like, they sit on the other side of the restaurant. (laughs) Yeah. And then he like gets something different. Oh, this experience isn't exactly the same as my day with Trisha. So it's not freaking me out until they start to dance and they dance one too many songs because apparently there are only so many numbers that they play at this restaurant and, and always... Stephen does the worst thing. He, like, runs out of the restaurant and leaves her there. And she has to call a cab to get home. It's her effing birthday. Yeah, that was that was bad. That was a bummer. Um, especially just, like, when she's like, I'm fine. I got a cab home. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah, he calls her the next day. And it's this great phone call where he, she is just, like, silent on the other line. Yeah. He's like, let me explain. And she just doesn't say anything. So she basically says to him, listen... It doesn't seem like you're over Trisha, and like I, I, maybe I could be the one to help you with that, but I really don't know if you're ready. And he's like, yeah. "No, I'm not." <laughs> no, I think it was all like pretty good. I mean, it was good of her and how she dealt with it. Like, I could help you out. I, you know, I, I can be there for you, but also, you know, you can move on. It's okay. Like, but. You have to be ready, and I don't think yeah. you're ready. And... Which is, I mean, it's really pretty generous of her, uh-huh. because it's great to cut him some slack. She really is. I mean, she outright states it, that, like, yeah. she's willing to be patient with him because he's gone through a really hard few months, which yeah. is very nice. 
But, like, he has disappointed her in a very embarrassing and hurtful way. Yeah. Like, multiple times at this point. So, how many chances do you get, Stephen? Well, like, the one time wasn't really him embarrassing her. It was Betsy embarrassing her. Yeah, but he made it worse by freaking out and, like, running off. That's true. You know? He could have told Betsy, like, it's not what you think. Calm down. But instead, he just, like, left her. Or he could have pulled her aside. Like, he could have been like, Betsy, let's go talk in the other room. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Something like that. Totally. But this exact, close to this exact situation, actually happened to me in real life, so I buy it. Oh my goodness. I mean, not in, like, a date way, in, like, a more depressing way. Okay. Which was that when I was 19, my friend that I grew up with since kindergarten died. And then about a year, maybe two years later, a friend of my mom's died. And my mom was like, I want you to go to the funeral with me. And I was like, I didn't really know her. And she was like, well, like, she knew you. Can you just come? And I was like, yeah, fine, I'll go. And then I said, and then I remember my dad being like, no. And I was like, what? It's fine. And then I said something to my mom, like, well, where's the funeral? And she was like, oh, it's at this funeral home. And I was like, yeah, that's where my friend's funeral was. Mm-hmm. And my dad was like, I don't think this is a good idea. And I was like, well, it's not going to be in the same room, right? Like, it'll be fine. It's not going to be in the same room. And she's like, no, 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 no. Because, like, I mean, my friend and I, we were 18. We just graduated from high school. Like, we were 19. And they had, like, that funeral home had, like, this, like, massive main room. And, like, the entire funeral home... Like, the other rooms around the court what, it was filled with people for my friend's funeral. Like, just lines. Because mm. it was, like, our entire graduating class sure, and all these sure. teachers and stuff. And that room was filled with people. And it was this huge, massive room. Whereas this lady was, like, a r- relatively, like, elderly woman who had had cancer for years. Who had, like, slowly died of cancer. And she was like, it's not going to be a big funeral. There isn't going to be a ton of people there. They wouldn't give them this big main room. Like, they'd give them one of, like, the smaller rooms. So I was like, all right, it's fine. We can go. And then we get there. And as soon as we walk through the door, they're like, oh, we're in the main room. And I'm Mm. like, "Uh, no. And my dad's like, this is a bad idea. He was like, I said it was a bad idea from day one. This is a bad idea. And my mom was like, no, it'll be fine. She needs to, like, come with me. Like, her family knew, you know, like, knows me. And they knew Katie. And, like, just go in. Just, like, go in. You're fine. So I walk in there and have a full panic attack. Oh, no. Full, it's like returning to the site of something yep. very traumatic. Yeah. Full panic attack. I just, I literally, like, grabbed my chest, and I looked at my dad, and I was like, I can't breathe. I'm, like, I'm, like, hyperventilating, like, fully, like, <gasps> like, yeah. bad. And he just grabs me and, like, kind of looks at my mom and is like, we're going, and we're not coming back. And just drags me out into the parking lot, and I'm just like, <gasps> and he's just trying to get me to calm down, and he's like, you can breathe. This isn't real. You're having a panic attack. And eventually I, like, calmed down. And I just remember, like, my mom, like, paid her respects and whatever. She left and she came out. My dad was just like, I told you this was a bad idea. Did it, Did you feel, like, I was just thinking, 
I'm sorry. Let me stop yeah. and say, oh my god, that's awful. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry that happened. Yeah. Do you think that, I mean, to me, in a way that almost seems more like the moment at the restaurant where the song starts to play, yeah. in a way. I mean, but it also is the, like, the like if Steven, I mean, you could describe it as having a little bit of a panic attack when he's confronted by Betsy um, with, like, you are doing the thing that essentially he least wants to do. You know, he, he wants to get over Trisha, but he doesn't want to forget Trisha. He doesn't want to betray Trisha. Yeah, but I just look at, like, that moment when I was reading the moment in the restaurant. Yeah. And it was just, like... Like, he walks in there, and he was like, oh, no, but, like, but maybe it'll be fine. And then it aggressively was not fine. Like, yeah. once the song came out, and he freaked out, and he ran. And I was yeah. like, no, that is very real. Yeah. I, that happened to me. I get that. I get mm-hmm. his whatever. Well, and I think it's to Stephen's credit, to a certain degree, and to the book's credit, that he does tell Kara on the phone, like, no, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not over it. But then what happens is that he has this conversation with Jessica and Elizabeth and Jessica. I mean, I guess I should just read it because Jessica really lays into him and she's kind of terrible, but what she says is also true. Um, so let me uh, find it here. So this is after a bit of buildup uh, where they're still eat- they're eating pizza. This is back at the pizza yeah. scene. This is later after Stephen has gotten upset because they're talking about him uh, with as if he's not in the room. Yeah. So Jessica says, I think you're terrified of what Betsy will say if you start seeing someone new. Jessica, Elizabeth exclaimed, shocked. Stephen turned and faced Jessica, his brown eyes blazing. I don't care what Betsy says, he spat out. I can do whatever I want. Then why do you keep avoiding Kara now, after you've had some good times together? No, you do more than avoid her. You're incredibly rude. Stephen slammed his fist on the counter. I told you, Jess, stay out of it. I'll live my life the way I want. Okay, Jessica said. She shrugged. But remember, Kara's got one advantage over Trisha. She's alive. I also wrote that down, because that is supremely messed up. I know, it's like a gash moment. Like, oh my god, I can't believe she said that. But oh my gosh, then like Stephen runs out, because obviously that was terrible. Elizabeth flips out on Jessica, and Jessica just starts crying. Like, everybody's crying now. Because she is like, I didn't, I thought that maybe the only way to to convince him to to, like shake him out of it was to really go, like, go for the jugular. Like, those are not Jessica's words, but I guess she's still, she's like, it was a tactic for Jessica to. And it's not one that is unfamiliar. Like, I've seen that in a lot of TV shows, movies where, like, you know, somebody will lose their significant other and then they're trying to date and the other person's like, you're in love with a ghost. I'm here. I'm real. Like, you know. Yeah. I, it's been said. Well, and all Definitely. of this, like, yeah, and all of this, like, emotion from Jessica, I mean, it's, it's effective because it makes Elizabeth think that she was wrong about Kara. Elizabeth apologizes to Kara. Yeah. In a scene where she also tells Kara that she was talking shit about Kara, which she didn't need to do. But and she's Kara, honest. It's, like, it's very honest. Yeah. And she's like, you make my brother happy. I want to thank you for that. I was wrong mm-hmm. to ever doubt you. And clearly you're good for each other. And then she goes to talk to Betsy because she remembers that Trisha didn't just make Stephen promise that he would take care of Betsy. She also made Elizabeth promise that Stephen would get over her. What was like, I think just like get oh, on with his life. She made Elizabeth promise that she wouldn't tell Stephen that Betsy was dying. So yes. this all happened before Stephen found out that that was that Betsy was. 
that Trisha was Betsy, dying. Yeah. That Trisha was dying. And so Elizabeth is like, you can see how she, well, this is exactly what Trisha didn't want. Yes. She didn't want Stephen to be so broken up about her that he never moved on with his life. She yeah. wanted it so little that she was willing to die with him thinking that but she he, didn't love him. And also just, like, wanted him to, like, move on while she was still alive. Yeah. Like, I think it was, like, even to, like, the point of, like, she wanted him to, like, not care that she died, kind of. It was weird. It was very yeah. weird. Listeners, go back and listen to the episode for When Love Dies. It's weird, and we have some feelings about it. But, A lot of martyrdom. <laughs> but they... So Betsy and Elizabeth concoct uh, this scheme whereby they will both leave... Have their mothers... Or have respective mothers leave notes for Kara and Steven saying, don't forget to meet your friend by the clock tower at 9 yeah. p.m. And then Steven and Kara are both there. They're parent-trapped. Yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, Teddy Collins is involved for some reason. Teddy Collins being Mr. Collins's young son, who for some reason gets roped into the Wakefield schemes from time to time. I kind of like it. <laughs> well, it's precious. He sh- it is pretty cute. He shows up and gives them... Isn't he wearing, like, a little suit or something? Like, there's some, like, really <laughs> yeah. cute thing. He's, like, on his tricycle or something? I don't yeah, know. there's some cute little thing about it, though. And he gives something to each of them, and it is a drawing, a beautiful sketch, each one of the other. And so Stephen knows, like, only Betsy could have made this sketch. But then, oh, lo and behold, Stephen's envelope also includes a letter from Betsy explaining that she was wrong to keep him from dating. And Betsy got there because... Because Elizabeth told Betsy that Trisha didn't want this. And also kind of... We talked about this earlier, but Elizabeth is the one. Elizabeth's saving the day again. Elizabeth is the one who brings to Betsy's attention the fact that what Trisha was to Betsy is not the same as what Trisha was to Stephen, by which I mean... Betsy can go on and have a love life and, like, nobody's going to fill the place mm-hmm. that Trisha is going to fill, but she can still, like, be that focused on her. Yeah. For Steven to be that focused on her, it's, like, it, that makes it so that Trisha is occupying a space in his life that, like, maybe someone else should be occupying. I feel like there's also, like, a second issue there in the long term, like, in a real way. Like, if you were dealing with it in a real way, which is, like... Betsy gets to have that kind of, like, forever she gets to have that as a, like, it was my sister, I lost my sister, if I want to be sad about it, I can be sad about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Stephen, at times, by a lot of people around him, and, and outside of the fact about him moving on, but just, like, a lot of his grief, he doesn't get to keep in the same way that Betsy gets to keep That's a good grief. point. People, his grief is pathologized in a way that Betsy's is not. Like, for him, it's not like, oh, if this is just normal for him to be this upset about his girlfriend. Instead, it's like, if you don't get over this, you're never going to live your life. Or somehow, if he dates somebody else, then it means he's over her. Yeah, true, true. He's over losing her. Yeah. Like... Well, and I think that's a good yeah. I mean, takeaway from this whole storyline is that it's just not black and white like that. Which brings no. us to Ned Wayfield's talk with Stephen. Yes, which was interesting that how after, 
like the so the dad's like great. He has this like really great moment with him where he says he like understands his grief and he recounts this story of losing his best friend when he was in college and and how, you know, he disappeared into his grief and he really needed to be shaken out of it and move on as well, but it doesn't mean you forget the person, it doesn't disrespect their memory, but you have to live your life. Yeah. And I thought it was a it was a really good father son moment like a like a call me by your name when the father sits the son yeah. down and they have that touching moment together. It's that thing where Ned says that he realized that his friend would not want him to be sad like this. Yeah, and we know Trisha wouldn't want that. Yeah. But also when he says like and my friend's name was Steve and that's where your name came from. And I was like, Mike Drop. 18 years later, like through his entire life, he's never said, like, why did you name me Steve? Where did that come from? Well, maybe if his name were like Arturo or something. But... I don't care. My name is the most vanilla name in the book. You say my name in any given place, and three people are like, what? Oh, my name's Katie too. And I still was like, why'd you name me Katie? Yeah. You know, I mm-hmm. ask that question. I feel like everyone's asked why they're named with their name. Do you know why? Because my mom liked the name. Yeah. There was no real deep, meaningful explanation behind um, it. My parents thought they made my name up. So. How? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me either. But. What was the math on it? How'd they get there, though? I think, I don't know. I think it was like, kind of like Melissa, kind of like Mary, you know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> There's a town somewhere named Marissa, and for a long time I thought that that was what gave them the idea, but I think that might be wrong. Anyway, uh, like they noticed the sign after they thought of the name. <laughs> it, but that's also a thing of, like, sometimes you think you come up with something, and you're like, oh, no, I heard it years yeah, ago. Yeah, I'm sure so that that's what I'm happened. sure they heard it somewhere, and then mm. it just popped back up, and they were like, oh. Yeah, they super yeah. did not make it up. <laughs> yeah, nope. <laughs> Well, I feel like, I mean, that's pretty much the Stephen and Kara that closed up. Um, And I think that maybe we can talk about uh, Jessica's storyline in the extra drama episode. Well, there was one thing I was gonna say was, as great as that conversation is with the father and the son, at one point he kind of lashes out at his dad and he was like, you lost your friend and I lost the love of my life. And I was like... First of all, everyone knows that's shitty when you diminish somebody else's grief. Yeah. That was not a cool move. I didn't love that. No. Um, and it's also like, you don't know what this guy meant to your dad. Like, you can't say that. And, like, one person's grief is not somehow more crushing than another person's grief. Like, mm, yeah. that was something I wrote down that I did not, like, didn't care for. Um, but other than that, I liked that storyline because I felt like it was... Um, I don't know. Like, it, it felt like it was really good, and it was oddly, like, deep and poignant for Sweet Valley High. Yeah, it's, like, complex emotions. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, like, survivor's guilt. It's, you know, like, uh, depression. It's, you know, even though people around him are kind of having irrational <laughs> responses to, like, he needs to forget about her. He needs to yeah. not think about her ever again. And you're like, yeah. well, no, that's not... Well, and it makes me a little uncomfortable that they... It's kind of like they're not letting him grieve in his way. I guess it feels a little That's bit like true. that. Or they did and they're done with it. 
Yeah. It's like they let him for so long and now they're like, but that does kind of happen. Like, it's like in the immediate aftermath of your grief, everyone's like, okay, okay. And then it's like after a while, if it keeps going, people are like, okay, you should be over it by now. Yeah, yeah. That and does I mean, happen. I think that that's actually a, a really big problem, like a societal problem that mm-hmm. we have of not, um, of treating things treating grieving like it's something that's going to end and oh, yeah. like it's going to like it's going to be in its neat little box and you can wrap it in a bow and then it's over as opposed to something that is like a lifelong process i mean it depends on who it is i suppose but you can you can be in different stages you can but it's also not like a stages where like the um the kubler ross like the the stages yeah the of stages grief of grief yeah are not intended to be stages of grief that you travel through and then when you get to the end it's over that's just how we talk about it yeah it's something that it's like these are the different ways that you could cycle back through yeah. it all over again you know or, or go that, back down the ladder like you know it's like these are the these are just the yeah. ways the shapes that grief takes i mean i think it's like i oddly did a like in my like college one of my college psych classes i did this like big in-depth uh, research project on the stages of grief and i took people who had had very, like, traumatic losses, and I went through with them their journey and, like, kind of varying degrees of, like, how long ago they lost this person or whatever and where they were in their grief. And, like, some people had gone all the way through and some people were, you know, still stuck at anger and some people were still stuck at depression and... Mm -hmm. And so it's not, it's not a clean through line. And I also think, like, one of, like, an oddly poignant, I don't even know if this is odd, but, like, uh, Michelle Williams, after Heath Ledger died, she did this, it was, like, the first time she ever spoke about it. And it had been a while at that point. And she just, I remember her saying, I don't know if she made it up or she had heard it somewhere, and I think she says that as well is grief is a moving river. Is it ebbs and it flows and it's never stopping. It's just, it's always there. And sometimes it's just like, kind of like quiet and calm in the background. And sometimes it rages and some, you know, and it's just like, I think that's the best kind of explanation of that. Yeah. I thought that was pretty poignant. Oh, you know what would be super appropriate right now? Mm. Uh, if we switch to the part of the podcast where we talk about boys. <laughs> yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Transition. Who's <laughs> a beautiful boy? Who's a beautiful boy? So one of the reasons I wanted to switch to this part is because uh, as a nice counterpoint to the sad uh, and and complex Stephen story, uh, Elizabeth gets a little bit of a story and it involves a boy. Yeah. Well, also Jessica does in a weird roundabout way. Yeah. Both of their stories in this book are... Straight up nonsense. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's, like, surrounding one really, like, good poignant story and then two that are just, like, straight up nonsense. Okay, so Elizabeth is, like, actually slightly troubling. So yes. what's happened with Elizabeth is that Todd just moved away. To he moved college. to Vermont. No, to Vermont. 
His oh, parents, I thought he was going to college. No, no, he's a he's a junior in high school still. Like the rest oh, of them. Oh, give me a break! I thought he was in college. No, no, he moved to. So he. I mean, I know he looks like he's like twenty five, but he. No, he's in Vermont now. And but Elizabeth keeps seeing someone that looks like Todd. Yeah. After she actually, he's Todd's still in town when this book starts, and she, he flies away. And then, like, like while he is, should be on the plane to Vermont. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth is with Enid at the mall, and uh, they see, or she sees someone that looks exactly like Todd. She's like, yeah. Todd is here, but they like go after him. And they can't find him, and they don't see him. And then, and then she sees him again. The same thing happens at school, and it's like, she's losing her mind, poor thing. Um, but... I thought, like, when she was like, oh, I saw him, but I thought he left, I was like, oh, he's, you know, hooking up with some other girl. I wish. Or, like, he wanted to surprise her. No, I didn't buy That's that. where I went. <laughs> of course, I, I would never doubt Tom. I went the dark path. Um, I'll actually read the scene from the high school when this, this is the second sighting of, of Maybe Todd. Elizabeth was just down the hall from her destination when she stopped dead in her tracks. Todd Wilkins was coming out of Coach Schultz's office. Todd! Elizabeth called, shouting the name so loudly that several kids turned around to look at her. Elizabeth quickly moved toward the boy, but just then the bell rang and students began streaming out of their classrooms. Elizabeth fought her way through them and got to the school's glass doors just in time to watch the boy climb into a shining blue convertible. It wasn't Todd. Elizabeth could see that clearly now. But he had the same tall, athletic build and wavy brown hair, cut in an identical style. He even carried himself in the same confident manner that Todd did. It was no wonder that Elizabeth had mistaken him for her boyfriend. Shaking a little, Elizabeth leaned against the door as she watched his car drive out of sight. So Elizabeth gets this idea in her head that, like, maybe if she can find out who this boy is, they can date. Because maybe he'll just be, like, a replacement Todd. Yeah, that was super creepy. And, again, my roommate was a big fan. I was like, I'm sorry. She's just going to find some dude that looks identical to her boyfriend who broke up with her. And she's going to hook up with him no, no. and that's not creepy? They didn't break up. They're just... He moved away. Whatever. They're not together anymore. Well, He's her ex-boyfriend. Their relationship is, like, open now. <laughs> Okay. So. They're like super evolved. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to shackle her to their relationship. So this comes up because, of course, the Oracle is reporting on this volleyball game and they get pictures of the players. And Elizabeth is like, oh my God, this is the guy. His name is Michael Sellers. And he plays, of course, conveniently on the big Mesa volleyball team. Yep. The big uh, Mesa volleyball team. I don't, we don't know who else is on it, but the Sweet Valley volleyball team we know everybody who's on it it's elizabeth lila fowler jessica john pfeiffer bruce patman and i don't remember ken matthews probably it's like all yeah. of our favorite juniors yeah, from Valley. I, hope, I guess bruce is a senior what happens is elizabeth is so distracted by how much yeah. michael sellers looks like todd that she keeps fucking up but yeah. then they turn around and use it to their advantage in the second game and third game, and Jessica and Elizabeth come up with some sort of surprise strategy. Well, so it's like she, at this point, she's just sucking because she's distracted by yeah. him. It's brought to her attention that, like, well, why don't you just, like, be really good and then get his attention? Yeah. And then maybe he'll dig you. <laughs> I don't even know if that's what Elizabeth wants. 
Brushing her bangs out of her eyes, Elizabeth tried to return Michael's volley, but made the mistake of looking over at him for a split second before the ball came her way. In that hasty glance, Michael looked so much like Todd that Elizabeth became flustered and missed the ball. It's just so weird and creepy. His eyes are also described as coffee brown, which is famously Todd Wilkins' eye color. So, (sighs) I don't know. I was like, I always feel like if I date somebody and then I, like, the next person, that's look like nothing like them. Yeah, yeah, but I guess I've never been in a situation where I've been, like, yearning to yeah. get back with them. So it's a little different. It's, and other people notice that this guy looks like Todd, too. But they're not, like... So that's a reason not to date him, Elizabeth. Instead, yeah. they're like, oh, maybe he's... Maybe he acts like Todd. This They're all thinking, like, well, if he looks like Todd and he acts like Todd, then basically it's, it will be as if Todd never left. How much would they that suck just make for, it worse. How much would that suck for Todd to, like, come oh, back yeah. home and... And Elizabeth's dating his carbon copy. Well, my question was, was I was like, I mean, this is Sweet Valley. Like, things are crazy. And I was like, does he have, like, a secret, like, bastard twin brother? Ooh, That's what I thought. That would have been fun. Mm-hmm. But no, instead, like, it, he he goes up and he says something so gross to them. He says to Elizabeth and Jessica afterward, Big Mesa having lost the game. Yeah. Well, unlucky in sports, lucky in love, or something like that. Actually, I'm usually pretty good at both. I also wrote that down. Ugh. Because it's real gross and dumb. Ugh. And then, you know, Elizabeth is just really excited about dancing with Michael Sellers at the uh. caravan, but then Michael Sellers turns out to be kind of a dick. He's just a douche. He, like, just brags about how great he is at sports, and then when Winston comes to ask Elizabeth to dance, it's just his friends, you know, yeah. Michael Sellers is really rude and possessive, and Elizabeth is like, step off, buddy. Yeah. And then he dances with Jessica, and then Jessica's like, you know what? She's right. You're a douche. Yeah, Jessica is not having any of it. She's and normally she doesn't bored. care, as long as they're hot. She's yeah. like, down. <laughs> well, maybe she doesn't like how much he looks like Todd, because she didn't really like Todd. Spoiler alert, yeah. she will. <laughs> don't. It's not. We're not counting it. Although, if we are counting it, I'd like to point out that this book says explicitly that Stephen, there is no doubt about it, Stephen was attracted to Kara. So. Yeah. I'm just saying, Stephen is attracted to women at some point in his life. Uh, yeah, I mean, why, you know, in the words of Eleanor Shawstrap, more men should be bisexual. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I don't disagree. (laughs) Uh, There are a few more boys in this book. Let's talk about uh, John Pfeiffer, sports editor of the Oracle. Uh, eh, No, let's not. John Pfeiffer, poor guy. Every time he gets mentioned, it's like, he's just this, like, sexless writer man. Like, like he's usually too busy writing about sports to do anything else in his life. But today he was playing sports. Um, I like my notes here, like... Oh, that they completely like the beginning of the book is all about her being anxious and excited that Todd's in town, and then they go right to her calling him, being like, "Oh, it was so nice to see you." I was like, they skipped his entire visit. That was the last book. That was the last. Oh, book. okay. Yeah. So that was really just closing up. I also have chapter. is Todd a sneaky bastard? <laughs> no, Todd is good. Well, until later. But um, so the only other boy that I want to bring up is. Um, well, there's two. Winston and The first Amber. one. No, I think let's save the whole Winston story for the extra drama. We're getting a little long here. You might as well. Oh, I know. I had a question. So, at one point, 
Elizabeth, it's kind of like after everything hasn't worked out for her, and obviously this guy is a douche. She's like, why do I keep making these mistakes? Like, Nicholas and now this guy. Who's Nicholas? What happened with Nicholas? Oh, well, Nicholas Morrow. He's uh, the richest boy in town. He's very Mm -hmm. handsome. He and Elizabeth went on a date once, and then several more times when Todd was uh, in Vermont. That was all in the last book. Mm. So I should let you borrow it. Or you just listen to the podcast. Episode 23 just came out. But that was bad? It was just that she was just trying to fill a void, as she says here. Yeah. She didn't really have feelings for Nicholas, and she ended up hurting him a little bit. Okay. Um, So we've got Artie Western. That is the full name of Stephen's friend. Mm Um. A stocky boy with a friendly, open face. A senior at Sweet Valley High. And he and Stephen have known each other since grade school. So this is the first appearance of Artie Western. Later on, Kara says that he's handsome. So Sure. Okay. You can be both. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, we have a very brief Collins Watch 2019. Oh, yeah. The bell rang shrilly, and Mr. Collins came striding into the room. A handsome man resembling Robert Redford, he was the target of many crushes among Sweet Valley High's female population. Ugh. I hate the <laughs> sexy teacher trope. It grosses me out. <laughs> also, I never, ever had a teacher that I thought was attractive the entire time I was in school. Mm-hmm. Never did. I had one that a no. lot of people thought were attractive, but I, I also feel like it's compounded by the fact that I was raised by two teachers so to me, like, every teacher was my parent. And they were mm-hmm. old as heck. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I can't think of one right now. Even ones that I, like, rationally knew were young, I was like, no, they're, they're like my parents. Yeah. So that never, like, I could never cross that line mentally. Beautiful boys, a beautiful boys, a beautiful boys. Well, Katie, now that we have another book under our belts... How do you feel about the old Jessica or Elizabeth question? Oh, like, which one? Yeah. Or is there a new character that you really like? No, this last time was the same as this time. It's still the same. It's Enid. (laughs) Yeah. Enid makes a very brief appearance in this book, but even then you were like... And and Enid got dumped, huh? By George Warren, yeah. Oh, poor Enid. Yeah, yeah. Not before she had psychosomatic paralysis. Cool. Chill, casual thing. Listeners know what I'm talking about. Okay. Well, Katie Ledoux, thank you very much for... Oh, are we not going to talk about Jessica at all? I've said it like five times. We're going to talk about it in the extra drama episode. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now listeners have to tune in because, guys, Jessica is up to some schemes. And we are going to talk about it next week on Extra Drama. And Katie's going to be back. She's going to come all the way back to the recording studio to record with me the story of Jessica Wakefield and her budding romance with Winston Egbert, question mark? Maybe. For now, to close out this episode, let's tease the next book. Oh, okay. We haven't talked about it at all, but it's about Emily Meyer. um, Mayer. Yeah, which was only slightly confusing because they Meyer? didn't really talk about her the entire time. And then all of a sudden, that's like the massive yeah. cliffhanger. She has a new baby sister. And a nasty stepmom? Yeah, yeah. Nasty stepmom who doesn't really want her around. And she's afraid her dad's going to send her Yeah, to and she school. thinks her dad likes his new family and doesn't want her around anymore. 
And so, will Emily be forced to go to boarding school? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 25, Nowhere to Run. Listeners, uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't and tell your friends. Please give the show a five-star rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That's really quick and easy. You can do it right now. Send me an email, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. Follow me on Instagram at sweetvalleydiaries or on Twitter at sweetvalley. And uh, why not read the blog? I mentioned it earlier, sweetvalleydiaries.net. It's been around for a long time. Uh, Now mostly it's the podcast, but you can read the archives. If you want to jump ahead, I have recaps up to book 50 from uh, the first read through. Thanks so much, Katie. And thanks to you for listening. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Memories. I'll be loving you always with a love that's true always. That's all. Okay, I accept it. Thank you. I had to sing um, Oh Christmas Tree in German in a high school production, so that's all I have. You mean... Oh, Tannenbaum, oh, Tannenbaum, wie treu in deine Blätter. <laughs> Did you say Vita? That's what I remember. It's bladder? No. It's Blätter. I don't know, man. Leaves. I, like, barely did it. <laughs> that is all I remember. I thought it was Vita this whole time. It's bladder, vatter? What is it? Blätter. Blätter? Whatever.